Welcome to our podcast today. Today, we have Matthew on the podcast. Welcome, Matthew. Thank you so much for having me here, James. I'm excited to be here. Matthew, today we're going to talk about renewable energy, and it seems to be something that's very topical these days. We're seeing it uh, quite a, a push, and there's that push is coming from many different areas. One is that the technology is maturing. Another is that people are more environmentally aware and trying to do the right solution in terms of the environment, as well as when we look at the need for electricity, the need for electricity over the next while is certainly going to increase the number of autonomous vehicles on the road or that are going to use electricity is supposed to increase by 4,000%. The number of Internet of Things devices should triple over the next few years. All of these will be using electricity, and yet we don't have the infrastructure set up. We don't have the electricity generation capability set up. So it seems as if the intent is there, uh, putting aside the, the cost differential factor, because we can assume that more over time that will align with other ways of generating electricity. But what are you seeing in terms of some of the inhibitors for adoption of the technology from the technology side what is it that we need to uh, innovations or new devices or infrastructure that we need to put into place in order to better utilize and better adopt renewable energy? Well, I would say one of the major things that is necessary at this point, and it's a place that the majority of investment is going into currently, is the storage component. So battery storage for the electricity that we're capturing from the sun and from the wind. Uh, if we have a great place to be able to store it and then utilize that when the wind, say, isn't blowing or the sun isn't shining, then we are, really, that's the great unlocker. And we, when you get to that point, we no longer, it's very interesting, you no longer need the utility in the same way. So currently, the utility and the policies around renewable energy adoption are not extremely favorable. And that is because the utility companies, they want to keep their customers. And that's fair. Um, but what's going to happen is storage be, can, uh, continues to come down in price. And you mentioned this already, the adoption of the electric vehicle. That is one of the core things driving down the cost of battery storage, which is going to allow us to store energy that is produced, like I said, from the wind and the sun, and be able to utilize that during the times uh, when the sun isn't shining, the wind isn't blowing, and, and that really gives us now the ability to break free from the grid. Now, we're not saying we don't want the utility involved because I think there's going to be a very valuable place for them to move our electricity from my house that produces stores and shares to the neighbor's house that produces energy on its roof, stores its energy in the battery and is able to share it. So we'll be able to move our energy from house to house using things like blockchain uh, to track that transaction. Um, but the core thing that needs to be improved at the moment, and this is, like I said, the great unlocker, is that battery storage component. And I'm very confident uh, that the price will continue to plummet uh, on an exponential curve, actually, for the next little while as the electric vehicle adoption continues to accelerate. It's interesting that one uh, technology in one area or one industry is having an impact on another industry. And as you mentioned, yeah. battery storage is a, is a key component. 
because when we generate electricity, it has to be used. And if we have, mm -hmm. let's say, a hydroelectric dam, which generates electricity on a constant basis, we can use that as it's generated, but with wind or solar, it can be intermittent. And therefore, matching supply and demand is a key component, particularly if we don't have the storage. So I, I can see how the, the battery storage is a, is a key adopter uh, issue. When you talk about blockchain, that's also interesting because that suggests that the business model of how we generate and consume electricity can change. If we as individuals can generate electricity and share that with others, so this suggests that not only is the battery component uh, critical, but the distribution component is critical. Let's say that we have a number of houses which are generating electricity, and once that electricity is generated, it either has to be stored or used. And if we have a distribution structure in place so that it can be distributed to those that need it, then that's part of the solution. So there's... There's the battery storage part of it, but then there's also the distribution storage. So once it's generated, that it can be used somewhere. So I imagine you're seeing both of those come into play. For example, there's some interesting work going on in Europe to try and do that distribution structure better. So if in the UK they have an excess electricity to distribute it across the or under the channel to Europe so that they can use it and back and forth. So depending on where the sun is shining and the wind is, that they can continually distribute electricity around the, the grid from each source to each generation so that supply will always equal demand based on the grid structure. So I imagine you're seeing both of these technologies playing out. Yeah, well, one of the great things is that when you look at new development, new construction, you can start planning. So developments that are taking place five years from now we can start setting up that energy infrastructure plan now so that once that project is completed, all the houses are oriented properly where they need to be. Uh, not saying every house will be able to produce the same amount of electricity in that small community. However, we're, when you're taking into consideration during your design phase, you can change things about your roof layout just slightly, which will help you produce more electricity. And as we continue to set these up in new communities, you can start having the community essentially operate as a distributed energy resource, or DER, as it's short form called in our industry. And, and that community can be essentially self-sufficient. You can do things like put in a community power bank, uh, storage, battery, uh, as well as having each house have its own battery. You can have a community production, uh, so a community solar array or community wind or both, and have that same thing happening on each house. And then all of those houses and that community uh, centralized location can all work together to create its, its own small independent grid that operates. Essentially, it, it can be completely independent of itself. It doesn't need to be tied into the larger grid infrastructure. Now, that being said, uh, as I mentioned before, we would like to continue to involve the utilities in that uh, component of it so they can help us take electricity from one community that's, say, in a lot of sunshine right now, is overproducing, and be able to move that to another community that maybe is currently going through a little bit of extra cloud cover 
those opportunities do exist in that way. And it's going to be a very interesting time over the next bunch of years as this stuff really comes into play. And this must have tremendous potential for emerging economies in to set up a, let's say, a nuclear power plant or hydroelectric dam is hugely expensive. It's, it's $9 billion to do a nuclear plant. Probably. Wow. Yeah. $9 billion. And I yeah. imagine in, in just as we saw with emerging economies where they leapfrogged over the landlines and went directly yep. to the cell phones, I can imagine yep. some of them would leapfrog over building these big pieces of infrastructure and go more to this this distributed battery storage kind of grid where one village, one community may be generating enough electricity to earn revenue by selling it to another community. Yeah, those are, those are possible things. And you're, you're exactly right that the cell phone did allow developing countries to skip right over the former telephone infrastructure that was required. And you are correct. The exact same thing is happening with solar right now. There are a variety of companies that operate in developing nations that are deploying microsystems, which operate on a pay-as-you-go scenario where that microsystem has its own little storage unit, solar panel for the roof, and uh, provides them with power in nighttime. Right? They can actually have, instead of operating from kerosene or uh, charcoal or you know, fires inside or around the house you know, to have light and to cook, they're able to now actually have an element and actually have light bulb and actually have the ability to plug in their cell phone and charge it. So there's some tremendous things happening there and the opportunity to help others now escape from that energy poverty is very real. And it's uh, something that's very near and dear to our heart for sure. It's interesting how this technology spillover, uh, we talked about how the push for batteries and electric cars is gonna have an impact on the uh, renewable energy uh, industry because of that technology playing forward and now we're talking about how the renewable energy in this new decentralized grid could have an impact on the environment of communities that have typically relied on on either oil or kerosene or burning of wood to get um, a heat or electricity uh, generation within their community if we can if we can have um, emerging economies that don't need to burn fossil fuel and decimate their forestry uh, environment and instead reuse renewable energy, that has an impact on the environment. Yeah, tremendous impact. And, you know, the, the interesting thing is that as we're going through these environmental concerns and these changes are happening, we're seeing that, you know, that the emerging nations are expecting similar lifestyles as we've you know been able to achieve in other parts of the world and as they should and limiting them by telling those communities that they can't set up a infrastructure to generate power using coal because that's currently cheap and efficient is kind of wrong right but the truth is we now do have solutions to that and that's one of the great things about the renewable sector and particularly my favorite solar is that it, it does, it has no judgment. It, it can be placed anywhere and it needs to be collected from as many places as possible in order to really utilize it. You know, there's enough sun energy that hits the earth every single day to power the whole planet for a year. 
right? So that we have an overabundant supply of energy that hits the planet, we just don't capture it. And if we really pay attention to that and start doing that and really start deploying solar in as many places as we possibly can and setting up that microgrid infrastructure, um, these, these emerging communities can experience electricity abundance in a, a much different way than we currently do it today here in you know the western world uh, but the the truth is that the, the the collection of solar energy leveraging the technologies that do exist today is very good uh, the opportunity is there it does produce results solar has been used for you know 80 plus years already and we know it works and it, it is a very reliable source of electricity and that key component that is already available it's just a little more expensive is that storage component and now that those two things are uh, readily available like this and the plummeting cost continues to go down with the storage it is it is not going to be most people's reality much longer you know there's currently 1.1 1.2 depending on where you look a billion, sorry, 1.2 billion people around the world who still suffer from energy poverty. And the interesting thing with those people is that oftentimes they spend the most money on their electricity. And usually it's not even electricity. It's, it is buying things like the kerosenes or the candles or the, or the wood or the, some places they actually burn uh, cow poop. You know, so there's, they actually spend a lot of money on that. So their price for that light or for that little bit of energy that they're producing is very expensive in comparison. So being able to get uh, these microsystems into their hands at a very reasonable rate, uh, typically for free, and then being able to have them do a pay-as-you-go scenario, uh, it's really, like I said, a great unlocker. And we're going to see all kinds of new people hop online for the very first time, be able to now sell their wares uh, around the world, leveraging the internet be able to learn in a drastically different way because of the internet, because now they have power. It's, it's just a tremendous times ahead, uh, full of abundance, and I'm very excited about what's coming. Well, you mentioned two more spillover effects of renewable energy. One, of course, is if on the health of individuals who are not burning uh, cow manure or kerosene or, or coal, and yep. the impact on their health of doing that as well, as you say, if they now have electricity and they can get on the internet. We could see an increase in education and opportunities. But there's one area I wanted to ask you about as well. We talked about the storage battery and we talked about a, a distributed structure and how that's going to change the business models and how individuals can earn income. But one of the issues that's still out there, and I'm wondering how the technology is playing out on this, is of course the distribution grid itself. We don't have 100% efficiency when we're distributing electricity across the grid. If we go to a decentralized approach in which communities are transmitting the electricity over shorter distances, that somewhat addresses the problem of the, the uh, loss of electrical power when we distribute across the grid. Mm -hmm. But are you also seeing other either either technologies or approaches to try and make it so that when we, if we capture all of that sun energy and then distribute it, that we're not losing some of it in the distribution itself. Well, you're, you're correct. And uh, from what I understand, it's about three to four times the amount of energy produced at this site to get the one 
that we need at the house per se because of line loss. So it's lost. The energy is lost both in the form of uh, mostly in the form of heat. And as we continue to understand how to capture that heat back, uh, there is some prevention in the overall line loss. But as you say, James, the, the best move really is to produce it and use it on site. So when I produce electricity on my roof and it goes directly into my house, that's very efficient. It's I'm not losing anything because of heat in that transfer. So that that to us is, is the wisest way to do this. Now, from what I understand, you know, we're, we're, we're very smart people. We're always trying to find solutions to problems and line loss is something that the utility company has known about forever. And I'm sure they're doing things to improve that. And uh, as far as the, the DERs, the distributed energy net, uh, resources, that is something that we'll probably have to deal with. Although it will be significantly less. It'll be fractions of what current line loss is like because the energy won't be moving very far. Um, like we'll, we'll probably be, at least the way that I kind of see this at the moment, is that it'll be smaller communities that are, that are all kind of networked together. So it'll be completely decentralized. Every single house in my future uh, is its own microgrid. And then it shares amongst its let's say 10 houses, neighbors, and then those group of 10 also share with a larger group, right? So it continues to grow out from each individual node as opposed to one centralized node. And yes, we will probably still have slight line loss. Uh, however, because we're not moving that electricity very far, uh, that should be fractions of what it currently is today. It's interesting in renewable energy, how we see so many different technologies maturing and coming together to change the whole dynamics of the industry itself, including the business model. And mm -hmm. maybe one of the models that we can look to is the internet itself and look for uh, electrical grid and think of it more as, as an internet rather than a grid. As we come to the end of our podcast today, uh, have you have, do you have a few takeaways for our listeners? Well, you're, you're right on that word about the internet. It's uh, some of the, the biggest and brightest minds out there calling this the energy internet. And what's about to happen that I think is uh, we're, we're going to see essentially the last big job boom to set up our new um, abundant energy economy. Um, there's, there's some very interesting things that the, the fossil fuel economy got us to, um, but we only hit in the most productive economies about 23% efficiency. And that was uh, both Japan and Germany. And that was on the fossil fuel economy. And now that we're moving into an abundant energy economy driven by renewables and uh, particularly the solar space, as we continue to unlock more of this abundant energy, we're going to be able to tie that all together with all these exponential technologies. So the things like the quantum computing, the robotics and the AI, the autonomous vehicles and transportation, the energy internet, the internet of things, uh, this, the sensors that are going to be placed everywhere, which is tied into the Internet of Things, all of these exponential technologies are converging at once. And the humans are the ones that need to help set up this infrastructure. But I think once all this infrastructure is set up, and this is, and this is way out there, and some people might listen to this and think, oh, that's, kind of, that's a little bit crazy. Um, but reality is we, we, we don't see these things creeping up on us like they are. These exponential technologies are all converging at the same time. And they're essentially accelerating the speed at which uh, improvements are happening. And as we continue to set up this renewable energy infrastructure and the autonomous transportation infrastructure and the Internet of Things infrastructure, that's going to put a lot of what we do in the hands of 
computers and technology and allow humans the ability to free up their time and not necessarily need to be working in the same way to produce money. So I think there's going to be an incredible shift in how we do things around the globe as we continue to unlock the abundant energy that's available, as we continue to expose uh, the power of machines and artificial intelligence and what that's going to be able to do for the human race and how it's going to free us up to be able to do more things that we actually love doing, spending more time with our family and with community and instead of having to necessarily go and punch the clock in the same way. And again, some people may think that's crazy and far out, but we're seeing people displaced all of the time by machines now. You know, we look at uh, IBM's Watson, for example, it went to school as far as medical is concerned, and it has read basically every single published paper ever released on everything to do with medicine. So instantaneously, Watson can recall billions of pieces of information, sort through all kinds of studies when it's trying to diagnose you, where average doctor cannot do that. And they've tested Watson against uh, doctors, and Watson is correct. It blows them away. It's not even close. Right? So we're, we're, we're in a scenario where doctors potentially will be replaced by computers. Uh, we're already having precision machinery perform surgeries at times. We're having precision machinery build and assemble cars and computers and all these incredible technologies that we use every day. And humans are used to do that, but we're no longer. And it's, it's hard to imagine that we're going to be continuing to lose jobs to robots and machines, but it is going to be happening. And for me, it doesn't scare me. It's actually very exciting. I think it's very liberating for the human race, and it's going to allow us to uh, get to a space where we can actually have more time uh, around our communities and people that we love and care about and, and more allow us to live life in a, in a different way and escape the, uh, escape the debt trap, which really is our, how our economy is built today, is, is built on a cycle of debt. So some fascinating things that are going on, um, all kinds of stuff that I'm very excited about. And some stuff that sounds very far out there and all, all I can really recommend is for people to uh, you know, really open their eyes, be open-minded to hearing and learning about some of these things that are going on quietly behind the scenes. And One of the, the best books that I could ever recommend anybody reads in, in some of these topics has to do, uh, it's a book called Bold and it's uh, by, by a man named Peter Diamandis and uh, that's one I'd highly recommend people pick up is, uh, is Bold. Talks about all these things I've talked about. Okay, thank you, Matthew, for uh, sharing that with us. And thank you for joining us on the podcast. Oh, thank you for having me on here, James. I really appreciate it.